Good morning, everybody. Man, that was a great good morning. I really like that. Y'all were paying attention and ready. Other than some of y'all are still talking. There's a few. Of you. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, why don't you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer today, okay? Great God in heaven, we thank you so much for the beautiful sunshine, the beautiful day. We thank you that we get to come to church, that we get to worship you, worship you with our voices and worship you with our tithes and our offerings and worship you by listening to your word. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us today. I pray that you would just bless us in a mighty way today. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you so much for your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to start singing this morning. We're going to start right off page uh, uh, 223, um, or the screen's up here. I stand amazed, and uh, unfortunately we don't have a piano, so we're going to do an acapella, and hopefully I start on a good key for us, okay? <clears throat> I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. For me it was in the garden, he prayed not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own grace, but sweat drops of blood for mine. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransomed in glory, His face I at last shall see, Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Gracing will continue on with uh, 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. It's a new day dawning, 
You look around and say, hey, great to see you. Well, it's okay to see you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, you guys may be seated. Hey, Rick. Give me headphones for him. All right, let's uh, do a couple quick announcements here. Uh, you can see today is uh, uh, we have Annika with us, so we know we're having food. Just teasing, Annika. Well, maybe. I don't know. Um, but uh, today we're having our Carrion Fellowship dinner after the service. There's tons of food back there, so please, everyone, stick around. Uh, we don't want to take leftovers home. Um, so, uh, let's see. Next Sunday is Lord's Supper and Deacon's Fund offering. Um, March 16th is uh, uh, Barb Solomon's memorial service at 3 p.m. Today's the last day uh, to sign up for that because Brother Ron needs to put in uh, a number for the caterer so he makes sure that it has enough food for everybody. Uh, so if you're planning to be there that Saturday, uh, the funeral is at 3, the dinner is at 5.30. Um, so please sign up if you're able to come to that. Uh, then we have March 24th, the Easter egg stuffing party, uh, pizza party. Um, just come. Just you know, If you want to bring some extra candy, that'd be fine. If you want to bring some eggs, that'd be fine too. Or not limited to it. But um, we are buying, a, the church is buying the majority of that. Um, the uh, March 30th is the Easter egg hunt uh, that we host uh, down at the Midway Community Park. And uh, that's at noon. So we're going to meet here at the church at 1030 and head on down and uh, um, set up for that. And then March 30th, 31st is our Easter services. We have a early service at 8 o'clock, a breakfast at 9 o'clock, and a worship service at 10 o'clock. Uh, we've done that for the last many years, and uh, don't forget that, uh, our, our time change. So there's no 11 o'clock service that day. All right, let's, uh, let's continue worshiping the Lord. We're going to sing uh, page number two, How Great Thou Art. Thank <clears throat> you. 
singing. Oh, I don't know. Do, you, do y'all pay attention to the songs much? 
I mean, I mean, not just what, I mean, like the whole order of the songs we're trying to do. I'm trying to, I, I don't just like, hey, that sounds like a good song. Hey, we haven't sung that one in a while. Let's just throw that one in there. I try to put a little bit of a thought process into it. Now, I understand not everybody thinks like I think, okay, which is good because we all be crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's good for us to remember that God is great. God is awesome. God is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. So we stand amazed. We sing, bless the Lord. And we sing how great thou art. And the amazing thing, the next song that I love is just a reminder that the God of the Old Testament that did those amazing things, the God of the New Testament that did those amazing miracles is still the same God today. And that he can do those things today as well. So uh, let's lift up our voices as we sing uh, the last song, Same God. um, And we'll also be taking up our offering during that song. Calling on the God Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenants. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up your
Would you ask God to bless the offering? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together as your children and supporting the outreach of this local church. Father, we ask indeed that you would bless giver and gift that all might be done to the praise and the honor and glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> All right, turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Today, uh, we are continuing our series of the deconstruction zone and... Uh, You know, I decided that as I preached last week and I was studying this week, I came to the realization that uh, I I did a similar series not that long ago about doubting Christianity, doubting God, uh, called literally Doubting God. And uh, as a result of that, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to wrap up this series with the message here today. And... uh, you know, I, I've been hearing about uh, people deconstructing their faith uh, from a lot of different places, and I thought it would be good to get in there and dig out a lot of this stuff, which I still think is good for us to, to know. And uh, maybe some of it's kind of informational, but uh, uh, I wanted it to be practical, applicable. That, that's kind of my purpose in messages, is that it's practically ap- ap- That, okay, yeah, practically applicable. Uh, Say that five times that. That's just not easy to say. Um, 
But, so I am going to be finishing up this series today, and Lord willing, uh, next week I'm going to be preaching out of the uh, Colossians chapter 3. And I don't know what it's going to be named yet. I'm not even sure where I'm going with it yet. I just know that's the text I'm going to be going in. And uh, if you want to read that to get ready for next week, go for it. Now, don't read right now, okay? Wait till after the service. Um, but uh, <clears throat> so de- deconstructing our faith comes when we ask the question, what do we do when what we believe is true and good doesn't really seem so clear? And as I've said from the beginning of this series, it's, it is a natural thing uh, that, that we do. We deconstruct the things that we were taught. And uh, as we grow up, we need to learn that we need to have a faith that is our own, not just what people have told us, not even what our family have taught us, but that uh, faith of our own that is based on God's Word. And many people do this. They deconstruct uh, uh, what they have been taught and they look to God's Word to see what is actually in God's Word and what it actually says. And as a result, they have a deeper understanding, a deeper faith as a result of that. So uh, others, though, they deconstruct their faith and they decide that, uh, you know what, I don't really like what I've been taught about God, how He is just, you know, against so much and that, you know, He doesn't really have much uh, fun you know, he's not much fun to follow. And so they, they begin to follow a, a made-up God. You know, they, they've got the prosperity gospel or uh, the God is only a God of love. He is not a God of, of uh, <clears throat> justness. Um, and, you know, he, he doesn't have any wrath in him whatsoever. And so they have this false God that they make or, or they decide that there is no God. And so deconstructing is a natural thing, but reconstructing, reconstruct, re reconstructing is just as important. You know, the Christian faith is so much more than just following a set of beliefs. It's about following the life and the teachings of Jesus. All of them, not just the easy ones, not just the ones that we like. Jesus is the source of all life. Are you with me on that? I mean, He is the source of all life. Um, And he declares what is good. He declares what is true. So our journey must be characterized as we move through life by moving towards Jesus, that unchanging truth. So what were, what were Jesus' followers called? They were called what? The disciples, right? Disciples. Uh, disciples, what, what that means is someone that is a, a student, someone that is a learner, someone that is a follower. And that's what we are called to be, disciples. Someone that is a learner, someone that is a follower uh, of the Lord. And they, it, it's not like you get done and you're, you know, you're all good. You, know, you may go through a class, you may go through uh, uh, some time with someone, and, and you say, okay, well, I, I've been discipled, I'm good, I don't need any more. No, we are always constantly learning, and we're constantly growing in the Lord. And, uh, uh, but we need to learn with discernment. So today we're going to conclude with a few hopefully practical points on how to navigate doubts and difficulties. You know, you may be sitting there thinking, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Uh, I, you know, I, I haven't left the church. I'm here. I haven't left the faith. Uh, I'm solid in following the Lord, uh, you know, the Lord of the Bible, the God of the Bible. Uh, I'm not really struggling with any doubts. This series really isn't that important to me. Um, well, I say, well, praise the Lord. Great, that's, that, that, if that's you. Um, but I think it is actually important for you as well. You see, this world is moving quite rapidly into a post-deconstruction mindset. And as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission with our friends and our family members, 
I think that these tools can help us engage people uh, who were maybe never raised Christians or, or used to identify as Christians or aren't sure what they believe with regards to the claims of Christianity. So, you know, the first thing that I want us to look at here uh, is that we need to learn to face our questions, but not only our questions, we also need to face our hearts. You see, God has given human beings a mind that reflects His mind. Very rational, very creative. And I think that comes with, uh, uh, with that comes an invitation to investigate the doubts and the questions that arise with respect to God um, and, and heaven and faith and all of those things. And I b- firmly believe that there are good, solid answers that can help strengthen our faith as we seek after God from His Word. And what's amazing that, you know, you can have two different people look at the exact same set of facts and still walk away with two wildly different perspectives, right? I mean, uh, one person might look through a telescope and say, look at all that. You know, look at that vastness that is out there. It's impossible in all of that that there is a personal God who cares about me. And then the next person who looks through the exact same telescope can look at that and say, wow, I don't know how you can see the vastness and the beauty and the complexity of the universe and not believe that there is a God who made it. The distinction comes down to a difference, but not really of mind, but of heart. So just as important as facing my questions and doubts about God head-on is facing head-on my own internal desires and motivations. I believe we need to ask ourselves a very, very important question. What answer do I want to find? What answer do I want to find? Do I want to validate my doubts about Christianity, about God, about the Bible, so I can pursue the pleasures of this world uh, that would otherwise make me feel guilty? Do I want to validate the existence of a holy and personal God to whom I am accountable to how I live my life? More often than not, we end up finding that what we're looking for, you know, if you go look into the Bible to prove this particular point, you may be able to find a verse if you take it totally out of context to prove your point. So if we miss this step, we can end up finding books, we can find lectures and podcasts and all kinds of different things that validates our own biases rather than engaging fairly with the views that support and challenge our own. Um, There's two thought processes to how we study God's Word. Okay, there is eisegesis and exegesis. Okay, I think I've mentioned this before. Eisegesis is when we come to God's Word with preconceived ideas of what we want to see there. And what, you know, we're, we're looking to the Bible to prove our own thoughts. Exegesis is letting God's Word speak for itself and not come with our own preset of ideas. Okay, uh, do you see the difference between the two of them? The important thing is not going there looking to, to, to prove your point, but looking to God's Word to prove its own point and maybe make a change in our own thought process. So, uh, that's why it's so important that we, we, we let God's Word speak for itself. And so, what comes out as a rational, well-articulated refuting of Christian beliefs often doesn't really start there because it starts in the heart that says, well, I don't want to believe. I don't want to live my life being accountable to God. 
then they use it as a weapon to fend off Christians uh, who want to try to witness to them. So I had you go to Ephesians chapter 4, okay? Let's look at verse number 17. Ephesians 4, 17, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk all uncleanness, I'm sorry, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Let's look again at verse number 18. I want to read that again. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Notice, notice the order of events there. The blindness of their hearts. What does that mean? That's that, well, maybe we can understand that a little bit better as uh, the hardening of the heart. You know, uh, I, I don't want the God of the Bible. I mean, the God of the Bible is a misogynistic bigot. You know, he hates and he judges. Ooh, I just don't want that. That's the kind of that hardening of the heart. And whenever your heart is hardened towards the Lord, that leads to the ignorance of God. You know, I'd rather have the God of love, the God of acceptance, which ends in a darkened understanding and a separation from the life of God. So if you're the person who is in this deconstruction process and you're saying, I just want answers, I want my rational intellect to be satisfied, the Apostle Paul would tell you that your heart is already hard and no rational answer, no logical proof is going to satisfy that. You have to go to God's Word not trying to prove your point. You have to go to God's Word letting it speak for itself. So uh, a lot of times it's coming from the heart. So we ask ourselves those questions but we also need to do that of our hearts as well. The second thing I want to talk about is, uh, and, and especially this year, did you know that this year there's an election going on? Anybody heard anything about that at all? No, no, okay. Uh, but there is, just like a presidential election coming up here. And uh, so this is something I think sometimes Christians have gotten into the bad part of, okay? And that is letting your political position become an issue of faith. No matter what side of the aisle you sit on, whether it's red or blue or liberal or conservative or anywhere in between, don't let your personal political position become an issue of faith. I'll explain. As you grow in your faith and you begin to take the opportunities that God brings into your life to, to witness to other people, you may come across people who will disassociate from you and be openly hostile with you, not because of the teachings of Christ or even the teachings of God's Word, but because of the political beliefs that some people, well, the, well, the political beliefs that people assume that you hold because you associate with Christians. They look at some of the Christians and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, some of those people are nut jobs, and you must be one if, if, if you're a Christian. You know, I find it really interesting that people in the, in the non-religious world associate Christians almost first and foremost by a, a political ideology. Honestly, Christians run the gamut politically. Did you know that? I mean, Christians, you know, there, there are people that are aligned on either side politically. And, you know, they can both point to Jesus in the Bible for the basis of why they believe what they believe. And for why they side with one side over the other one. And, and, and a Christian might say, well, how in the world can a Christian be a Republican? 
Or how can a Christian become a, a Democrat? I mean, you know, and, and here's the problem. When, when, when somebody has that type of an attitude, it's just wrong. Because you're like, I don't want to say blackballing, but I mean, you, you're basically turning your back on someone that doesn't believe exactly the exact same way that you do. You know, the, the Christian on one side might say, well, I see the Bible, it upholds the traditional family unit, the dignity it places on human life, and emphasizes a, a personal re- morality. I'm, I'm going to vote for that party. While a person on the other side might say, well, look at the special care that God shows to immigrants and, and, and to the poor and the marginalized, and, and look at how Jesus elevates the role of women, and I, I'm going to line up with that political movement. So as believers, when we witness to somebody, we say, this is who Jesus is. Right here. Not what this side says or this side stands for, but this is who Jesus is from God's Word. This is why you need to put your faith and trust in Him as your Savior. Unfortunately, some go on to continue to quote-unquote witness to them by saying, well, also you need to accept my beliefs that you know uh, Joe Biden is the man and COVID was real, where someone will say, well, no, the John, uh, Don, Donald, Don, yeah, Donald Trump is the guy, you know, uh, and vaccines are horrible. I mean, you can get all political, and if you don't believe like me, then you can't be a saved. Well, that's just stupid. You're, what we're doing is we're, we're placing a stumbling block in the way of the gospel. And maybe by the time you get to the good news, they're already turned off because of what you've been saying politically. Hold your place there in Ephesians and uh, turn back to First uh, Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. We'll get there in just a minute. Here's something to think about. Um, did you know that there is no party platform that lines up perfectly with God's Word? Did you know that? Um, and, and this is probably going to be like the most political I ever get in the pulpit, okay? But I'm just telling you, you know, there's deep corruption on both sides, Okay? Um, and whether you're left, right, or center, or whatever. You know, when I place demands that a real Christian holds this particular perspective or votes this particular way, not only am I invalidating the faith of every Christian who falls on the other side of that, but I'm also saying that every unsaved person on the other side, uh, uh, you know, of the political fence that I am is saying that Christianity isn't for you. Christianity isn't for everyone who believes in Jesus. Wait a minute. Christianity is for everyone who believes in Jesus. You know, except maybe those socialists or whatever. You know, that's just wrong. I mean, you know, 2020 was a crazy year. Things escalated crazy with COVID, uh, lockdowns, people going stir crazy in their house, contentious election. We're we're in another election year and I'm not, uh, I'm really worried about the way things are going to go. And I'm not talking about Fox News or MS, well, the other stuff. I'm talking about Christians. I mean, as I said earlier, I've heard Christians state, how can a Christian be a Republican or how can a Christian be a Democrat or whatever? I think it's, it's totally wrong. I think it is a warning to all of us how easy it is to allow our hearts to grow cold to people with a different politics or a different belief than, I, than mine. Look, I told you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse number 19. He says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. 
And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. The saving power of Jesus would be experienced by Jews and non-Jews alike. You you can't just slap the the name of Jesus on whatever ideology you want to and call it godly. I think the best parts of the liberal worldview, the value of women, the care of refugees, the poor and the defenseless, are reflective of the heart of Christ. And at the same time, I think the best parts of the conservative worldview, the value of the family, traditions of those things, and justice and personal morality, those are reflective of the heart of Christ as well. So if you can build a bridge for the gospel through politics and those things, great, that's awesome, that's wonderful. But if you can't build up a wall, then stay away from it. We need to make sure that we don't bring personal politics into any type of uh, um, issues of faith. Because God is not a Republican and God is not a Democrat. Or the Green Party or Independent or whatever. He's not one of those things. We need to understand that. Now, another thing we need to also understand And as I spoke in the Sunday School Hour, Sunday School Hour, if you're not coming to the Sunday School Hour, I encourage you to do so. We've been having some great discussions. Um, We've been, especially the last few weeks, we've been talking about what the Bible says about different things. First week, we talked about what the Bible says about women pastors. Well, the first one was about war and uh, what was going on over in Israel versus Hamas and all that in the Gaza Strip. And then we talked about women pastors and we've been talking about homosexuality and a bunch of different things that have been coming up. What the Bible says about these things and not what so-and-so says or what, so, what believes, but what does God's word say? And really that should be the basis of everything that we believe, right? It is about God. So... In Sunday school, we were talking about we need to value truth and love, or speak the truth in love. It's not one or the other. It's the truth in love. Now, flip back to Ephesians 4. We'll be there in just a moment. In some ways, it would be easier if we all believed the same thing, wouldn't it? I mean, if I came to this pulpit one day and say, hey, we're going to be a conservative church and, uh, or we're going to be a liberal church or whatever the case may be, and everybody who disagrees with that leaves and the more people that start coming will fit into that particular camp that I declared. And when we try to fit together, then, you know, it, it would seem like it would be great, but it's not always great. When we uh, fit together with people who aren't quite lined up with our own political Uh, politics or theological positions, it can be awkward and difficult, but it's also important. It helps us grow when we're with people who may not see it exactly the same way that we see it. As I said, our Sunday school is a great time of discussion, and sometimes we have opposing beliefs that come up, opposing thoughts that come up. And, and, you know, it hasn't gotten heated yet, um, but uh, uh, at least to my recollections, but, you know, maybe some strong positions on opposing sides of the question. The important thing is, though, is that when we're done with that, we're able to lovingly say, you know what, I, I may not agree with you, but we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We can agree to disagree about some of these smaller things. 
you know, and I think that for help in navigating these encounters or as we engage others who might be in that deconstruction process, we look back to Ephesians here. Ephesians 4, verse number 11. I'm, I'm going to focus on one little phrase in this whole passage, but I, thought it's, I think it's important that we look in the context. Verse 11. And he, gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by with, ev- with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the, of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, notice the image of unity in those verses. Believers working together with our own unique gifts and our own unique roles form the body of Christ here on this earth. And so Paul uses this phrase, speaking the truth in love to describe the way that believers ought to build up one another. Truth and love aren't in opposition with one another, okay? But there is a little bit of tension there sometimes. And I think we can end up emphasizing one to the exclusion of the other. And we can really do some damage uh, to our church and how we reach out to, uh, to people who don't know God yet. What is truth? Anybody know? Okay. Y'all are maybe a little nervous. I'll, I'll tell you right here. Truth is true no matter what is true. What, no matter what anybody else says about it. That's what truth is. Just a hint, this is truth. Okay? No matter what anybody else says about it, no matter how people take it out of context, this is what is true. Jesus is true. He said in John 14 that He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? You know? And and then this, what is love? You know? Not, Not baby, don't hurt me. Not that song. Okay? Um, but this, you know, the love that it's talking about is not this lovey-dovey, ooey-gooey love, okay? But the Greek word for love here is the word agape. It is the godly love that God gives to us. It is the love that uh, emphasizes, um, I'm sorry, that, that love that wants what's best for the receiver. So when we're going and talking to people, we're talking about the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word, and we're doing it for their best interest. Not our best interests, but for their best interest. You know, there are two uh, common errors that, uh, uh, w- that happen when, when we talk about truth and love. One error is to, si- is to side on the side of love and saying that, um, you know, we emphasize love at the expense of the truth. That means that, quote-unquote, love, um, we love them too much to tell them the truth. 
Granted, there's always a time and a place to say certain things, but withholding the truth because love is because of love is like saying, I love my kid too much to discipline them or correct them. That's how you get a spoiled brat. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how it happens. Listen, sin is like a cancer in in someone's life. And the hard truths of the gospel uh, about heaven and hell and salvation and Jesus alone are like the medicine to a dying world. So if a doctor decided not to tell his patient uh, that, that she has cancer... Um, or because he didn't want to upset her, or withhold the medicine because it tastes bad, well, that we would say that's a horrible doctor. In the same way, I think that in order to love people, we must stand on truth. So we don't overemphasize love at the expense of truth, but uh, the second error is valuing the truth over love, which is another error in that. And some would think, uh, some think that just speaking the truth is love. No. Well, maybe a little bit of it. I mean, we can use the truth to win an argument, but you can still lose that person. The relationship with that person. Do you understand what I mean? You can hurt them. Uh, And if we're not careful, we're going to end up having a whole lot less grace for other people than than the Lord had for us when He drew us out. Right? We need to do it in truth and in love. The answer to what, uh, uh, what to do would be to do exactly what Paul said. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. In order to fulfill our role of advancing the gospel of Christ, we have to be able to hold both of these at the same time. Truth in love. All right, this last point that I want to make um, is more about problems that people have with Christians. What's probably one of the number one things that uh, people have with Christians that are, you know, non-Christians have with Christians? They're too judgmental or, or hypocrites, okay? Too judgmental. We need to understand the problem with judgmentalism, okay? Many people feel that all Christians are judgmental. Judgmentalism makes, uh, makes the lost and Christians both feel uncomfortable. You see, that attitude of judgment suggests that Christianity is always finding enemies. Churches across America preached against so many things. I mean, it isn't surprising, you know, that, that we can even find enemies anywhere we look, okay? I mean, pastors and... T- I, remember, I remember hearing messages all about the evils of television, the evils of uh, movies and dancing and even cards. You say, I'm not that old. Ah, thank you very much. Uh, but I do. I remember some of these things. You know, so um, Halloween, rock music, the list goes on and on about all the things that are horrible that, that Christians should never be a part of. And, and people are preaching uh, even to non-believers about these things. And the problem is that the lost of the church is being anti-anything that seems entertaining. You know, who judges everything, and as a result, it repels everyone. There's no compassion there. You see, being judgmental is so off-putting. So some believers assume that the problem is judgment itself. You know know what, let's just get rid of all kinds of judgment. We don't want that. Let's just uh, not just have less of it, just get rid of it all. But that's just not possible because there's lots of things that ultimately have to be judged. Now, we've had this discussion in Sunday school. 
Should we be judging people? We all make a judgment call. But maybe the better word there is discernment. Discerning uh, the, the right thing to do or how to handle a particular situation. But you know, uh, the, the world does judge all the time. You know that. Just turn on the news, look at social media. They, they're judging all kinds of things. Right? So it can't be as simple as we just need to get rid of judgment or any implication of sin. That's the wrong idea. So Christians have naturally wanted to speak about their perspective on something taking place in this world. And so they begin to speak of something that is wrong, going on, the wrong beliefs, the wrong actions uh, in culture. And that that's, of itself is not a bad thing, but the problem is they end up judging a particular group of people or a, a group of people that are engaged in something specific. And that's not right. That's When we're telling people about God, <laughs> that's supposed to be the good news, Right? And when we're judging people, that's not good news. Sorry about that. That's not good news. <clears throat> when we do that, our message is way too small. This world needs more than just what they're doing wrong. They need to know that we don't live in a random world. That we live in a world that was created by God. They need to know that, that thing that so many people long for, that just so out, that's just out of their reach, it's actually because we believe that there is a God who created the world to, and created mankind to have a relationship with. And really, God is the answer to that longing in our souls. Yes, the creator of everything is personal. And it is actually, he's after us. Not like after you, like I'm trying to get you. Uh, but after us because he wants to have that relationship with us. You know, that, that's the beginning of the good news that we can't miss. That's why Jesus came to tell us about His Father and why God has sent Him. The, the beginning of the good news is that there is a God, that He is personal and He is reaching out to you. The problem is that we're separated from Him. And it's not only that there is a God who is good, but then it brings us to the position that as mankind we are not right with Him. So, we do have a story to tell, and that story involves the fact that there are people that, well, that they're all in sin, you know? All of us are in sin, which really describes our own self-efforts, our own self-ruling nature, and, and uh, that we find ourselves apart from God, but that's where God meets us, with grace. The good news is the good news because we need that good news. Without God, we are lost and on our way to hell, right? You with me on that? Isn't that what God's Word says? But the good news is that Jesus died on a cross for us. That Jesus paid the price so that we can have a relationship with Him. That we can have fellowship with Him. And so... Instead of maybe going to someone and t- telling them everything that they've done wrong, because that's just going to work wonders, okay? And that's sarcasm, if you didn't notice. But instead of going and telling them everything that they're doing wrong, maybe say, hey, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. You know, in, in the Gospels, so many times Jesus told them to, 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 to go and tell others what I've done for you. How do we tell people about God? Are we supposed to go tell them everything that they're doing is wrong? No. Tell them what God has done for you. How has God changed your life? If you are a child of God, God has changed your life. 
And if you're not changed, maybe you're not saved. And I don't mean to be mean like that, but I'm just being honest. Because when, when God comes into our lives, it changes who we are. We are no longer an old, dead creature. We are new. We're living in Him. Peter said in... Uh, um, I told you to go back to Ephesians 4, but didn't I? Anyway, um, First Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15, Peter said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When you talk to people, don't be on, down on them and all the wrong things that they're doing, because guess what? There's a lot of wrong things that you're still doing. Okay, We're still sinners, but hopefully we're striving not to do those things. But tell people that there is a reason why you have a hope that's within you. Tell your story of finding grace, of God finding you. I was lost, but now I'm found. God's amazing grace. I mean, there's a larger story that we need to be a part of, not just telling them the world what they're doing is wrong, but letting them know that there is a God out there. That there is a God who is good, who wants to have a relationship, wants to have fellowship with you. And that, hey, I'm being judged just as much as you are. We're in the same boat, but I found grace, and you can find it too. We're the ones who are saying, I found that. That is why our story needs to come, uh, I'm sorry, needs to be one that is ultimately a story of how we found God's amazing grace. It's amazing how many people know that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You know, it says, I was wretch. I was a wretch. You know what that means? I was horrible. I was so ungodly. But I found God's amazing grace because He reached out to me. That's good news. Not, not, not judging people. God's amazing grace. When we're talking to people, maybe they're in the midst of their deconstruction process or maybe you're going through that, but you need to remember God's amazing grace. And so the challenge that I, I make to you today is to realize that the story that we're called to understand and share is that God has created the world and that God is good. That this world is not just random because ultimately, well, God created it. And ultimately, we're going to have to make a choice whether we're going to choose to follow God or not. So look back at what Jesus is saying. And he's saying the world is not merely random. The world is actually, it has order to it. And that, that is what we should be calling people to with our words. Not just what we are against, but calling people to God. Jesus said, you know, we know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God didn't come to say, you're wrong, and 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 you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this. No. God came, what did it say? That the world through him might be saved. 
Jesus was quite clear. Judgment exists, but He has come not to condemn because we're condemned already. He has come as the answer. He has come as the good news. And so we need to drop the uppity attitude that, that none of us are saved because, hey, I did it right. You know, God got a really good deal when He got me. You know, it's none of that. It's not, not a, no, it's all by God's grace. And so forget the judgmentalism. Forget it. We don't need it. There is a time and a place to address sin. And in a lifestyle of sin. But it's not all about, that, that shouldn't be what we're all about. We need to be sharing God's amazing grace. Yes, God is a God of love, God is a God of grace, but He is also a just God. There's a place for it. Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for your word today, and uh, I know I don't I don't know if I did it right. I don't know if I, I I preached the message that you wanted me to. I don't know if it came across the way you wanted it, but Lord, it's there. And so, Lord, as as we walk through our lives, and as we are, whether we are going through deconstruction process or we're helping someone, I pray that you help us to learn to. Speak the truth and love and give the good news of your word. Lord, I pray that you help us to remember that we're saved not just a, a belief of a particular set of things to do, but it's something more dynamic. It's, it's a relationship with you. It's fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be judgmental as Christians, but Christ-affirming in our conversations with people, telling them about you, the good news of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would help all those who may be de deconstructing their faith, that they would learn to rebuild it on you in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help the believers who, uh, in their lives to be considerate and to share with some um, what we talked about today that we would do it for your glory. And Lord, I think of the person listening today that have maybe never put their faith and trust in you for salvation. I pray that you would help them see their need of you. And I pray that you would help us to minister to them, to show them the love that you have for them. But also because you're a just God, that if they don't put their faith and trust in you, they're going to be separated from you for all eternity. That is the truth of the matter, but you have the good news that you died in our place so that we could have everlasting life and spend an eternity with you in heaven. Thank you, God, for this series. I pray that you will use it for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Um, I don't know what your need is. I don't know. I don't know. But I just give you an opportunity to re respond to the Lord as He has spoken to you today. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give. I Trust him.
Thank you all for being here today. Uh, I do hope that you'll stick around, get some food. There's lots of it back there. It smells so good. Uh, I don't know how y'all paid attention. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer for uh, uh, the, the food as well as closing our service out. I'm going to ask Rick if you would do that, please.